Hello, my name is Jeremiah Ruderboss. Welcome to Journal Review. The purpose of this podcast is to break down journal articles and explain their meaning and significance in an educational way. Each podcast will focus on exercise and fitness, lifestyle, or nutrition. By reviewing a variety of topics related to exercise and fitness, lifestyle, or nutrition, I hope to provide useful information to those who wish to optimize their physical well-being. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Journal Review. So on this episode, we're going to look at the optimal exercise protocol for preventing cardiovascular disease. This is based on a large amount of studies that I sifted through and recently on cardiovascular disease and um, what types of exercise have been found to be most effective in reducing many of the inflammatory markers, such as interleukins, which are cytokines. We'll get into that. You've heard of cholesterol, so uh, we look at total cholesterol levels. We look at uh, triglyceride levels, body fat, body weight, all those things that can indicate one's cardiovascular disease risk. So we'll get right into it. So today in America, nearly around 800,000 Americans die each year from cardiovascular disease. This number makes up roughly a third of all yearly deaths. Cardiovascular disease is not limited to... Cardiovascular disease includes, but is not limited to, coronary artery disease, atherosclerosis, arterial sclerosis, peripheral artery disease, hypertension, valve disease, arrhythmia, and congenital heart diseases, while there's a lot of other diseases that are grouped and are considered cardiovascular disease. Many Americans today adopt a lifestyle and diet choices that increase the risk of developing cardiovascular disease. And one way we measure that is by inflammatory markers, such as lipoproteins, right? High-density lipoprotein, low-density lipoprotein, very low-density lipoprotein, things like that. Uh, Triglycerides, homocysteine, body fat percentage, body weight, and other variables. Thankfully, these markers can be altered with the right interventions. Along with diet, exercise is one variable in an individual's life that can be changed to decrease the risk of developing uh, worsening symptoms of cardiovascular disease. So we will dive into determining what type of exercise or exercise combination uh, is most effective for improving these inflammatory markers. So we'd be looking at maybe resistance training, aerobic training, interval training, things like that. So overall, the function of the cardiovascular disease is to deliver nutrients and oxygen to the cells of the body to, and to remove wastes from cells to excretory organs, such as the kidneys. However, as expected, the cardiovascular system does not always function how it needs to. Atherosclerosis is one of the main underlying causes of cardiovascular disease. Uh, this occurs when fatty deposits, often consisting of cholesterol and calcium, accumulate within the arterial walls. Um, and this is one example of a compromised cardiovascular system. So inflammation all over one's body is thought 
to be a significant contributor to the damage uh, within blood vessels that is responsible for the accumulation of LDL and cholesterol. So in my other podcast, I covered dyslipidemia, I believe, and how the oxidation, the inflammation causes the oxidation of LDL and cholesterol, I guess, and it makes it more prone to be stuck into a, a lesion on the endothelium of the blood vessel, which, and due to the inflammation, and of course the high amounts of LDL triglycerides cholesterol, the plaque buildup begins. So two components that are probably the most influential in atherosclerosis is going to be the inf inflammation and as well as the triglycerides, the cholesterol, the lipoproteins. So these fatty deposits eventually grow to form plaque, which restricts blood flow and thus oxygen delivery, and it increases your risk for total vessel obstruction. Atherosclerosis contributes to cardiovascular diseases such as coronary heart disease, when the coronary blood vessels develop atherosclerosis, angina, strokes, ischemia, heart attacks, and hypertension. It could be said that inflammation, along with other factors such as genetics, smoking, age, and gender, is one of the root causes of cardiovascular disease. So when we're looking at cardiovascular disease risk, what are the variables that we measure? What are the um, tests that we do to figure out um, the one's risk of cardiovascular disease? So where does the inflammation come from and what are the variables that can be measured to determine the inflammation in one's body? So there are mar many markers that indicate inflammation, but a few of the common ones and the ones that will that are included in this paper are systolic blood pressure, diastolic blood pressure, tumor necrosis factor alpha, which we'll get into, interleukin-6, C-reactive protein, total cholesterol, triglycerides, low-density lipoprotein, insulin resistance, and homocysteine. We'll um, look further into some of these that are less well-known. So an elevated systolic and diastolic blood pressure indicate high amounts of arterial plaque and buildup known as peripheral resistance. Um, tumor necrosis factor is a cytokine that is 157 amino acids large. Tumor necrosis factor alpha is mainly created by macrophages, T lymphocytes, and natural killer cells. So tumor necrosis factor, TNF, binds to receptors TNRF1 and TNRF2, and it activates certain signaling complexes that serve a variety of purposes. One of these purposes is inflammation. Overall, TNRF1 is associated with an inflammatory response. So um, next we'll look at interleukin-6 is another cytokine made up of 28 amino acids. Interleukin-6 is responsible for many essential physiological reactions to infections and injuries. Now, these are necessary to ensure an immune re reaction, right, to a cut or an injury, and it ensures proper recovery. However, the problem is, and the problem in many people with 
rampant inflammation and uh, atherosclerosis and cardiovascular disease is that the body does not properly regulate the production of interleukin-6. And the excess amount of interleukin-6 is partially responsible for the chronic inflammation that you see so often. Another variable to measure is C-reactive protein. Um, C-reactive protein levels increase in the body to bring about systemic inflammation in response to conditions such as coronary artery disease, cancer infections, and trauma. And you can often tell the uh, likelihood of someone... Um, sorry, so C-reactive protein levels. An elevated C-reactive protein level can predict the risk of... Um, heart attack in the future. So another variable to measure is homocysteine. Homocysteine is a plasma protein that is an indicator of deficiencies in vitamin B12, vitamin B6, and folate. These vitamins are significant because these vitamins can lower the risk of cardiovascular disease, thus making homocysteine an indirect measure of one's cardiovascular disease risk. Homocysteine levels were also independently associated with a relative risk of mortality. Homocysteine, or an excess hyperhomocysteinemia, um, too high, having too high of homocysteine levels in the blood, decreases nitric oxide bioavailability, and it increases endothelial dysfunction. So. Nitric oxide is a vasodilator, and it, um, as a result of decreasing the bioavailability of nitric oxide, um, high levels of homocysteine in the blood promote the um, oxidative stress, and this can increase one's susceptibility to atherosclerosis. Um, so, yeah, not good stuff. Next, we're going to look at the effect of exercise on cardiovascular disease risk factors. So, as you know, because you're listening to this podcast probably, a sedentary lifestyle is a cardiovascular risk factor that is able to be altered. However, when looking at for the right exercises to do, it can, it can be confusing. So, while cardiovascular training is typically thought of as the gold standard to um, improve cardiovascular health, by its name, <clears throat> resistance training also has benefits. And the purpose of this pay, uh, this podcast is to kind of look at some of the benefits that resistance training can uh, give and to kind of decide what the best ratio between resistance training and aerobic training or interval training um, can give in a cardiovascular, from a cardiovascular disease perspective. In a study done, it was found that Resistance training was considered safe for preventing hypertension. Um, and also it should be said that all, most of, I believe, all of these studies that I have cited, I looked at the methods and the exercise protocols were doable um, and maybe even a little less than what I would recommend. Uh, one was about an hour of resistance training a week. Um, and they found results for that. So I looked at the methods and there were no, as far as the exercise program went, I did not see any 
um, protocols that were insane volume. Um, so with that in mind, a study done found that resistance training was considered safe for preventing hypertension. It was found to be effective to reduce blood pressure up to 3 to 3.5 millimeters of mercury. The same study found that men who did resistance training for 4 to 7 hours each week had a reduced risk of hypercholesteremia. It was found that upper and lower body strength are associated with lower triglyceride levels. When considering atherosclerosis, it is important to not let one's triglyceride or cholesterol level get too high. Approximately 50% of older subjects have high blood pressure. One factor that could influence blood pressure is body fat. Body fat is strongly correlated with elevated leptin levels. Um, leptin alters renal sodium regulation. It also alters renin, angiotensin, and aldosterone. Um, this is uh, one of the main things that's in charge of our blood pressure. Leptin is thought to be responsible for activating the sympathetic nervous system and for increasing levels of inflammatory agents such as interleukin-6 and TNF-alpha. One study found that the best method to reduce body fat and blood pressure in the elderly was a combination of resistance training and aerobic training. As these two studies point out, reducing body fat is of paramount importance in fighting cardiovascular disease. As previously mentioned, obesity, excess body fat, drastically increase one's risk for diabetes, atherosclerosis, and cardiovascular disease inflammation. A study measured the effects of six weeks of aerobic training, resistance training, and a combination of both on inflammatory markers, interleukin-6 and TNF-alpha. The results showed a significant reduction in TNF-alpha in the combined and aerobic training groups. IL-6 decrease, interleukin-6 decrease was greatest in the combined group, while interleukin-10, which is an anti-inflammatory cytokine, and adiponectin, also an anti-inflammatory compound. So these two compounds were increased um, greatest in the combined exercise group compared with the aerobic training and resistance training group. So this study shows that a combination of both resistance training and aerobic training were effective in reducing important inflammation markers. Metabolic syndrome uh, can include and share as many aspects of obesity. In one paper, it was metabolic syndrome was defined as a cluster of metabolic abnormalities, including obesity, insulin resistance, hypertriglyceridemia, hypertension, hypercholesteremia, reduced HDLC, known commonly as the good protein. Metabolic disease is thought to affect roughly a quarter of all adults. While aerobic training is effective for improving aerobic capacity, cardiorespiratory fitness, and other variables related to cardiovascular disease, such as VO2 max, um, could resistance training be effective in regulating blood glucose, glycemic control, and insulin resistance? This study looked to find that out.
they looked at the effect of resistant of aerobic training, resistance training, and combined training on systolic blood pressure. So the blood pressure in your blood vessels um, when your heart is in the process of beating, diastolic blood pressure when your heart is not in between beats, when your heart is in between beats is diastolic blood pressure, and HDL levels, of course the good protein, or the good uh, lipoprotein, and interleukin-6 levels. The results showed that combined training showed the greatest results uh, and the greatest effect on total triglycerides, body weight, waist circumference, and blood pressure in general. Resistance training for only one hour each week was thought to have positive effects on LDL. It showed that the greatest improvement for decreasing body fat um, was resistance training <clears throat> and for reducing systolic blood pressure was also resistance training. Resistance training decreases blood pressure by enhancing endothelial, uh, the inner lining of the blood vessel, by enhancing endothelial sensitivity to nitric oxide. So basically the kind of like the opposite of what lep leptin does, the um, inflammatory molecule associated with excess body fat and obesity. <clears throat> so <clears throat> resistance training decreases blood pressure by enhancing endothelial sensitivity to nitric oxide, a vasodilator, as well as reducing the sympathetic tone of the body. This um, has great effects on blood pressure. Aerobic training resulted in the best results for body mass index and increasing HDL. Looking at the results of this study, it is clear that both resistance training and aerobic training have immense benefits for cardiovascular health. Now for determining <clears throat> the type of resistance training or the type of aerobic training that um, is supported most by the, by the evidence. Um, so obviously your, work, your workout routine should include both approaches to training. Um, however, there may be confusion when it comes to deciding between interval training or continuous training, training for hypertrophy or training for muscular endurance. One study looked at the effect of resistance training and aerobic training compared to short duration, low to moderate intensity exercises on homocysteine levels. The results showed that low to moderate intensity, short duration exercise resulted in the highest increase in homocysteine, while resistance training was found to decrease homocysteine and aerobic training was found to have no effect on the homocysteine level. Another study compared the effects of resistance training in addition to moderate intensity continuous training um, versus a resistance training in addition to high intensity interval training. So you have resistance training and continuous aerobic exercise compared with resistance training and high intensity interval training. Um, it was found that resistance training with high intensity interval training had moderately positive effects on LDL, fasting glucose, insulin resistance. In the other group, resistance training and continuous aerobic exercise, moderate intensity, 
the results showed an improvement in triglyceride levels. It was thought that this group could potentially deliver better results than the high intensity interval training group when it comes to fasting blood glucose and insulin sensitivity. That is the author's um, interpretation of the results. So it's not uh, straight um, measurements, it's what the author's expert opinion says, which still counts for something. Finally, a study conducted by Shaw et al. 2021 looked at the effects of muscular endurance training. So three sets of 15 reps at 65 to around 65% of the one, one rep max with 30 seconds rest between sets. This is muscular endurance training versus hypertrophy training. So six to 10 reps, 75 to 80% of their max uh, with 30 to 60 seconds between sets. So uh, they looked at the effect of these different types of exercise on cardiovascular risk in smokers. So the study indicates, or the study included males 18 to 30 years old. They trained three days per week for eight weeks. And the results showed improvements in HDL, LDL, and mean arterial, arterial pressure in the hypertrophy resistance training group and in the muscular endurance training group. <clears throat> However, the muscular endurance training group also experienced an improved an improvement in resting systolic blood pressure, diastolic blood pressure, total cholesterol, high-density lipoprotein, total triglycerides, and VO2 max. So while, this, while in the specific study, <clears throat> hypertrophy training resulted in an improvement of three cardiovascular risk factors, muscular endurance training resulted in an improvement of 10 cardiovascular risk factors. So when we look, take a step back and look at all this evidence, it is clear that the best option for an exercise routine for maximal cardiovascular benefits include both aerobic and resistance training. The evidence mentioned today shows that the cardiovascular benefits for resistance training um, shows more cardiovascular benefits for resistance training that is focused on muscular endurance as opposed to hypertrophy. So the, while the argument is not as strong, there was, I didn't see um, more, I didn't see as strong a um, consensus on this, but it did seem, the evidence did seem to point more towards continuous aerobic exercise as opposed to interval training for optimal cardiovascular health, according to the biomarkers that were taken into consideration. In conclusion, based on the evidence reviewed, the optimal exercise routine for cardiovascular disease prevention would focus, it would not exclusively be, but it would focus on muscular endurance, resistance training, and continuous aerobic training. So when you're resistance training, focus on muscular endurance, the uh, 15 reps, I believe it was, um, when you're doing that with 30 seconds um, between sets at 60, around 65% one rep max, um, and then continuous aerobic training. <clears throat> so um, please remember this is not medical advice. I'm simply going over the results of scientific literature. 
Also keep in mind that there may be evidence discovered or created in the future that goes against what is concluded here. I'm simply conveying to you what I found. If you want to make any changes to your routine, I would recommend uh, asking your primary care provider. And also, I will provide a link in the podcast description that goes to my show notes so you can read the um, paper for, for yourself or you can look at the references that I used. So thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Journal Review. This podcast is for informative use only. I am not a professional, so please do not take any of this information as medical advice.